You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. All right. Well, we are live once again. Andy and Jess here with the Making of a Marketer. Happy holidays, New Year, all the good stuff. And welcome back, Jess. I hope you're you know, excited to get back in the, uh, the work chair. I am. Happy New Year. So 2023 coming in strong, you know, how's your work week progressing? You know, we we had our shutdown in between uh, Christmas and New Year's time. I'm starting to pick up some work, starting to get planning in shape for the new year. Is everything smooth over your way? Yes, definitely. But I, I do like to ease back into things versus going full throttle. Yes. And I couldn't say it any better myself. So I have been doing the double coffees just to make sure that, you know, I'm engaged, I'm going. But, you know, one of the greatest parts that I can say about holiday time. So I'm planning to use more vacation time in the summer. So I didn't use a ton during Christmas or holiday time. So there's a stretch of days right before and right after where there's no meetings and I can tell you, those are the most beautiful days. I got three major projects done that probably would have taken me three weeks. And I probably got them done in four days. And I never felt more proud of myself coming in and out of break. I, I love that. And also, too, like we talked about in one of our last episodes, a great time to reflect as yes. well. You know, I did a little bit of that. So um obviously look at the year it was big year um for myself starting at linkedin so big dream come true to work for you know such a fabulous company um starting in july and you know i think it was pretty cool for me to kind of do like a half year you know an agency life half year at linkedin see how those two come together see it from different perspectives and kind of now set myself forward for what is 2023 and then what we can do over the next year. Um, you know, my side with EDU, you know, is obviously a big time because that kind of signifies from the traditional schools where you're ending a cohort and starting a new one for the winter. And then also a big recruitment season. A lot of times you look at spring deadlines, you start trying to shape what does spring and fall look like. So there's a lot of work ahead uh, from both just the long term and seasonal approaches. Yes, for sure. And also college football. I'm in more of an NFL person, but I will watch college on the occasion. I, I'm I'm all about the the college football bowl season. I love it. That is what I will watch. Did you watch the championship game then with the that was the biggest blowout in was it the history of the NCAA? Yes. Yes, I did. I mean, congratulations to Georgia. That was exciting to see, but it, it was sad for TCU. You know, they they were they were the the underdogs for mm-hmm. sure, the Cinderella story. 
Yeah. And that's, um, you know, my home state, of course, Texas. Well, that's pretty far away over in Fort Worth. But TCU has been one of those schools that's been like, it's a really nice campus, but you don't think of it as like a big sports school. We obviously think Texas A&M, you think University of Texas, but TCU kind of low key, you know, in the Big 12 for many years has you know, competed with a lot of these larger schools, but she just didn't ever think of them as national championship school. And a lot of the naysayers said they would get there and this is what would happen. So part of me was hoping that they would at least put up a fight, you know, to kind of show that they kind of belong there. But um, for the size of that school and being a private university, I don't think most people know that it's not a public school. TC is a private university to make it all the way to the national title um, was just a heck of an accomplishment. For sure. But today we are talking more than football, we promise. So <laughs> we're going to talk some marketing and something that we are working on at LinkedIn right now is in shape. So we're going to have a few episodes um, basically going through a lot of marketing fundamentals. And are you doing them on LinkedIn? Um, yes or no? If no, why you should be doing them? Or even if you are, how can you get better at these techniques? So one of um, the highlights for or the highlight for this episode will be talking about audience networks and more specifically the LinkedIn in audience network. So I definitely adjust you have some opinions on this. I have some opinions and we both know that when done right, it can really enhance the ability to convert, to reach, to brand, to demand. It can really help you across the board. Uh, but there's a lot of different opinions out there when it comes to audience networks. There's a lot of different beliefs. There's a lot of different times people have entered this conversation over the last six to seven years. So I think today is a good time just to kind of talk about our experiences with it and, you know, lead the, the charge on what is the proper usage of these networks for your ads. Definitely. Yes, I'm really curious to hear more about your experience specifically, Andy, because you worked on the agency side, like you you have that direct customer experiences versus myself, where I've really worked with the audience network from the publisher end. Mm -hmm. The big place that I will start this, so I'm going to take this all the way back to broadcasting. So there's probably some people on here that you know, they might be coming from traditional media or what we do see a lot uh, when it comes to companies are people that have worked in TV, um, radio, traditional mediums, have been a, a director of marketing and now they're, you know, over a digital marketing team. So they're learning different mediums and they're kind of trying to figure out the best way to understand all these things happening in social that are happening so quick. So when I think about audience networks, I think about traditional media buying. So for decades, the way that people have bought ads on TV and radio is traditionally through a media buyer. The media buyer will place those ads on some sort of network. So it may show up on your local news. It may show up during the Price is Right. It might show up on a local access channel. Maybe it shows up during the Super Bowl. Like it your ad shows up in all these different places in the strategies to figure out where they're showing up, why they're showing up there, and do I want them to show up in all these places? 
The caveat to this media buying strategy is sometimes you buy it from agencies in bundles. So if you put it in one place, it has to be in another place because you're buying a wholesale bundle at a wholesale rate. You get too picky and want it in one spot or the other. It becomes this kind of custom service that sometimes is or is not possible. So when I think about talking about audience networks, you know, I want to usually when I present these learn what is the experience level of a customer who's used this type of audience network and have they used media buying in the past? So that might be their understanding. So one of the, the first pitfalls I've seen with audience networks is when you say that you just check a box, which you did on Facebook when we first started seeing this become popular, you do check the box on LinkedIn audience network. They're going to wave a red flag right away because they want to know where exactly their ads are being shown because when it goes back to the old media buying world, sometimes they would find out that their commercial um, was shown during some very controversial program and then they're upset about that. So there's like this real trust factor. So when I come about presenting it, first thing first, if it relates to maybe someone who comes from that traditional world and is trying to understand it, explaining it through that lens about what's the same and what's different between these mediums. So that's my first take. My second take from agency world will be a personal experience and one that, you know, I can laugh at now. You got to laugh at some of this stuff. Like, that's my, so that's my biggest thing on social media managers. Like, you go into this, you post, you know, what, every day. So let's say you make, you're going to make 300 plus posts a year. You're going to run dozens and dozens of ads. Like, you're going to do some sort of blooper at some point. Like, you can't live and die by it. So I'm going to laugh at this one. So Facebook audience networks was new. So I, um, if you know my history, I ran Facebook long before I ran LinkedIn, ran, ran LinkedIn and Facebook together, now work at LinkedIn. So I like to say I kind of have a good background of understanding where perspectives come from both. And then here's my cat coming into the shot. Um, when we first saw that show up, the Facebook uh, business manager had placements. It's a big thing. They'll tell you to check all the placements. So it's seen by the most people, gets the most impressions, gets the best CPM, the best chance for a best price conversion or lead. So with that, they added the Facebook audience network. We first saw that. A lot of us, to be honest, had no idea what that even meant. We just clicked it because it defaulted the check mark. So if you're setting stuff up, it just defaults and runs. What ended up happening is we did that across the board because that not only defaulted, it was the recommendation. And to be frank, we're probably just moving too quick and didn't fully know like what we were doing yet. And an ad for, I want to say it was a healthcare-related company showed up on Tinder because it was part of the audience network. And I got a screenshot from my boss's boss in my email asking why my social media ad was on Tinder, and I had no idea why. So that, to me, was like the first like mark on audience networks where I was like, oh, Dang, like I was like, I gotta like learn about what this is. And then we found there was ways you could customize that eventually. But when that audience network debuted on Facebook, it wasn't like eight or nine websites. It was like dozens and dozens and dozens of websites. I didn't know what half of them were. And our content was showing up on there. So 
agencies eventually with Facebook got to the point where they would just do a blanket, don't run any audience network because we just don't know what's happening. And, you know, this isn't to say like one thing or one platform is better than the other. This is just talking about like 2016 social media, which was a lot more Wild West than it is now. We just didn't know. So we're learning on the fly. We know a lot more about it now. But there is still a thought out there about audience networks dating back six years that I think we're trying to fight still right now to make sure you understand where they've come and why they can benefit you. Definitely. I would say that you are not alone in that camp. I think that happened to a lot of people that were experimenting and trying to expand their reach. And a good thing, like specifically with LinkedIn, there's a lot of things that have been put in place to now ensure brand trust and safety. We we were talking about last year, uh, the, the partnership that was just announced with Double Verify, where Double Verify now extends their tools on to uh, LinkedIn's audience network to, again, really help with, you know, instilling that confidence and ensuring like the reliability and the safety of the network. Yep. And the good thing is when you go to LinkedIn, LinkedIn's audience network, you can visibly see the websites that they have partnered with. And I do believe that there is a way, it's through an Excel sheet where you can backwards, kind of like an exclusion list. So if you're familiar with doing like email list and exclusion list, you can actually put up an exclusion list of websites that you want to block from their partners to ensure that you're not shown on them. So, you know, when you talk about big macro strategy at the beginning of the year, this is something you can do once. And you don't have to necessarily keep coming back to it on every ad or every campaign that you start. Make that deciding factor of where you want your ads to be shown and strategically, you know, pick which what are the best places that align with your brand. Definitely. The other thing that I have really experienced with the audience networks is traditionally you know, the big pitch we're going to have is LinkedIn audience network. At, at times, you know, we see conversions at a 3x rate. We see um, CPMs dropping by like 15, 60%. We see a lot of these metrics going up because it just creates the visibility. Um, the reason that really this started um, when it comes to social media is Facebook back in the day had an issue with inventory. So when ads were really, really big, it was mostly the news feed. So they didn't have the stories, they didn't have the messenger ads, they didn't have all these things. So they had to enhance their placements. And by putting it on the audience network or the other websites, it was able to get through inventory quicker and it was able to expand your reach and have less competition. So with LinkedIn, I don't necessarily think that's the same reason they're doing it, but it's more so they want it to basically expand like reach for users that might be familiar with running, you know, brand messaging for B2B on like a connected TV or a TV or some sort of traditional medium, maybe display they're doing brands. So I think what it really enhances, it does enhance the conversion ratios, of course, when done right. But where I think it really plays well is by putting your content 
on LinkedIn who is highly ranked in terms of trust from a wide variation of sources, the most trustworthy social media or digital medium out there. It allows you to expand your reach with that network and trust that you're not putting it on Tinder or other places like that. I think they've all gotten better at this, to be fair. I think Google's gotten better at this. Mm -hmm. Facebook's gotten better at this. I think the whole industry's gotten better at this. But it's our job at LinkedIn, just I think more important than ever, the metrics are great, but I think the fact versus fiction and trust in really showing our customers how they can do this step-by-step, not only what it is, but how they can implement this into the platform and and give them those guides. Definitely. Yes. The industry has evolved for sure. But one thing to remember specifically with LinkedIn, these third-party sites, I mean, they are high quality and think about it as this experience that you are creating for the customer. You are, you're taking those LinkedIn members and you are following them and following them as they utilize social media and the the content that they are consuming. So it's really a great opportunity to create this this holistic experience. Yes. So now let's talk about creative and content side. So we know about the creative we see on LinkedIn's newsfeed. So something, you know, one of the questions that may pop up is if I run audience network, are they seeing the exact same thing through the exact same lens as they would see on LinkedIn? And what should they see? Like, well, what would be the approach? Does it change if you're going from the, you know, paid ad world of LinkedIn to a display, you know, I call it display basically on a website. Should it look the same? Yes. So right now with the audience network, we currently run single image ads and video and guidance and recommendations around there since it's going to be on a plethora of third-party sites, you want to be even more concise and even more compelling because like you don't want you don't want a headline that is, you know, too long because it may not show up, you know, properly on like X site. So just really trying to hone in on like, what is your value proposition and uh, making uh, things as compelling and clear and concise as possible. And then that really leads us to what we always talk about is putting the key points, if it's a video, in that one to two seconds, getting your brand out there, key message right away, no build up, just right away. And also using that inventory in the middle, you know, for your text, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it does display differently than an ad. It's not going to have like that, the full headline. It's not going to have the description. It's going to be more just the imagery that really drives people to take some sort of action. Definitely. So we we absolutely recommend text overlay for sure to that point. What's your belief on text overlay colors? Do you have a preference? Because that is a very philosophical, um, sometimes scientific discussion, but I know everybody has a different opinion on color schemes that show up on websites. In in general, I would say try to avoid 
I know that there are very specific numbers to abide by. I think it's important to, you know, design for accessibility. So thinking about that there are people that are colorblind, there are people that are going to be looking at their screen in direct sunlight, there are people that are going to be looking at their screen when it's dark, et cetera. Like those are all important factors. In general, I would say try to stay away from green and red since it is uh, really tied to Christmas and that that type of holiday season. Uh, But it's something to consider for sure, because you do want things to to stand out and be bold and you want it to be accessible for everyone. So here's one funny story when I think about colors. So this was I I love to talk about the Wild West era. Like, I feel like I'm going to write a book one day. It's going to be called The Wild West of Social Media. And it's going to be like short stories of everything that we tried that have absolutely no data backing it, but we just did it. So like one thing we did is there is this thing going around um, about how dark imagery on social media would stop the scroll. Like it was a couple articles I read. It was because in 2016, 2017, everybody was going with bright greens and neons and blues. And it's like, just make your images dark and people stop the scroll. So like, I went back to my creative team. I was like, we're going to put like a dark, like hue on everything. Like even like consumer goods is like, I'll make it dark. Like we're going to put blacks and like grays in the background because they're saying it's stopping the scroll. I actually saw the CPMs like nosedive. I saw the CPCs nosedive in a good way. They went down. So like more efficient. And I was like, yeah, I'm a genius. And then I, and then the creative team was like, what the heck are we designing right now? Cause I'm like telling them to do things against what is in like, you know, the, the best practice for, from their side. So um, it's always been kind of a fun discussion. I wouldn't do that now. And I'll take that advice now. Um, there's a lot of 2016 things that we did that probably are very incorrect right now. Um, but I think though, it's still very good to test. So like if you're unsure or the Knights at the Round Table don't know what direction to go with. What, I, what I've what i done when it comes to audience networks is I've inverted colors. So uh, let's say if your company has a primary color and a secondary color, and I use both of them in the imagery, just invert them and run both of them because you might get some, you know, you might get some signals that one works way better than the other, or it could end up being 50-50 it's just 50% of the audience resonates with this, 50% of the audience resonates with that. And that's perfect because you've given them options. Definitely. You're, you're an innovator, Andy. There, there is something to be said for testing, iterating, which is getting out there and trying something. And yes. I would also say too, from the LinkedIn perspective, I, I, I wouldn't go testing something completely new from a branding aspect on the network, you can use LinkedIn, you can use like what's happening on the platform, those learnings and focus those learnings on the audience network as well. So it's like taking, you know, your, your, your best performing ads, taking the, like the, like the colors that resonated the most, the, the wording, et cetera, and use that on the network. Because again, you're trying to expand your reach and connect with more people on the network. So if it's working well with the core audience on LinkedIn, chances are it's going to work well on the network as well. 
So here's an idea I was thinking of. I have not implemented this, but it's just something that goes through my, my brain in the laboratory. So I, let's say for picking our site. So I'll do a hypothetical. We're going to pick a bunch of news sites like MSN, Yahoo, you know, CNN, uh, whatever, you know, and in the common threads, you're going to see all over these sites is going to be economy, 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 you know, jobs, 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 losses, 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 gains, 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 whatever it may be. It's like very much economy driven right now because, you know, in tech, that's that's what's in the news every single day. Do you write your ads writing as in the ads for the networks that you're positioning your ads on? And does it almost make sense to have almost an ABM approach where you're trying to be very specific and almost targeted within the audience network and not going broad where you just put it on every single site, but you put it on the sites that make sense for the message that you're portraying, whatever you know, you're trying to brand, eBooks, webinars, whatever that may be. Yes, I, I think that is worth a test. That's definitely the contextual, the behavioral play for sure. Like, you're, you know, you want to increase relevancy as much as possible. It's absolutely worth a test. I, I would still, I'd, I'd still have some elements of that message on LinkedIn as well and absolutely carry through like the your brand and visual elements on the network too, because again, you you do want to create that consistent experience. But I love the idea of doing some A/B testing, like based on the site, to like really increase the, the relevancy. And that's something that I would recommend. You know, when you're talking to like, let's say, if you're someone's implementing this, or maybe if you're a manager that's managing a team, and you want to have consistency across all channels, brand to demand, you know, audience networks, whatever that may be. Um, basically showing it like in a visual of where it lives and showing the consistencies, or if you're trying to do an audit, show the inconsistencies of how it grows across a funnel and across different channels, because we just blast through social and digital so fast. So what I tell people is that the hardest thing to learn about social is you think that people are coming to digest your content. Unfortunately, search is more intentional. They go into a search and they search for something specific. A lot of times they don't go to search though until they see something on social. They work together in a very unique fashion. But the way that somebody engages with social is when they're on a Zoom call and not paying attention, when they're eating lunch, when they're watching TV and not paying attention, when they're just surfing their phone when they woke up in the morning, like that's how they engage and they're going through it quick. So, you know, if they see that consistency, it may take six times of consistency before they stop, or it may be once, but they need that consistency now to take a further action. So just laying all of those out and seeing those consistencies or inconsistencies, I think is very powerful. Yes, because like we've been talking about, you know, when creating this experience, it's all about increasing those touch points. And, you know, I will throw in, here's my my LinkedIn sales pitch right now. For, as far as the audience network is concerned, it, we have seen that it does increase touch points by 9x. I'm still here. We have cat bloopers going on right now. So I have to decide, just going to have to hold us together for a few seconds. I have to decide when I do this, if I want to close the door and have the cat scratch at the door, or if I want to have them sneak in and open the closet. I chose wrong this time. Well, you know, you bring up a really funny point, Andy, when talking about these bloopers. 
I think it actually would be so fantastic for brands to start doing more of these blooper reels. You know, you think about movies and how much fun those movies are that have the blooper reel at the end of the movie. And I feel like there is, there's opportunity for B2B to really show their, their emotional brand or their humorous side by doing some more bloopers. I know let's loosen it up a little bit, you know, it's, uh, and it, it leads to what we say all the time. And this is probably another good case study we can look at is you talk about this all the time, Justin. I, I've started saying this to client on client calls is the low resolution, like in the moment real, like resonates so well, especially in a TikTok era. Um, I think, you know, we think of that as like a TikTok or Instagram thing, but I think it's a social media thing. Like it's everybody and just professional real like it could be fun real you know professionally in a way I think the bloopers are fantastic and I do believe that it resonates well on the audience networks too like you're gonna go on there you're gonna see all these display ads like you open up any website there's just like so many ads but maybe you'll see something that's an ad but not really an ad yes again carrying through that authenticity we talk about it all the time it it works because it's authentic and it's a way to connect with the people that you are trying to reach i couldn't agree more well i think we covered it like that was like a good topic on this like i actually feel like i have a lot of learnings just from this conversation of how i want to approach you know something that's a big initiative for us at linkedin is to really, you know, get get more and more customers on the LinkedIn audience network and just really understanding it, why it could be powerful for them. I think there's a bunch of takes, but, you know, if you're in that marketing seat and you're someone that's having to teach this as well, like think about all these takes and like who you're working with because there's a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different analysis out there on what these networks do. So kind of take what you've heard today and, you know, figure out what that best one-to-one approach could be for a conversation. Yes. And let Andy and I know as well, your thoughts, like, are you using the the audience network? Are you using multiple audience networks? Uh, What do you think? What are, what are some of your hesitancies? Like we, we want to know. Most definitely. And then We'll be with you again next week. So the making of a marketer, you know, coming to you again um, every week here on the LinkedIn channel, talking about different things in the marketing place, personal experiences, wild west of social media will always make a appearance somewhere. And, you know, we're just happy to keep this thing rolling into the new year. So very excited to have you. And, you know, just let's uh, see you again next week. Let's make it happen. Yes. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.